Well, welcome back to the OBC podcast. My name is Corey Cooper, and I'm the executive pastor, and we are joined with some special guests today, and I'm very excited. Um, over here, we have John and Sharla Stroop, and John is the founder and executive director of Freeway Ministries, and Sharla, the director of Women's Housing and Children's Ministry, and then Josh and Alex Zuniga. Josh is the pastor of Freeway. Alex is the worship leader of Freeway and also an admin with worship at OBC as well and neighbors and friends of us. So I'm excited that we get to uh, sit around and talk today about what God has done, learn more about Freeway, and hopefully um, encourage someone out there who's watching today. Um, so John, I'm going to start with you and ask a question. What determines a successful recovery ministry? And also in that, I believe you'll answer what are Freeway's methods and mission and vision um, and why you do what you do. That's a lot. <laughs> so let's kind of walk through that. Um, so you have to ask yourself, what is success before you can, before you can have a successful freeway, because you have to define what success it looks like. Mm -hmm. And so for me <clears throat> in the, in the recovery world, um, success is, it just depends on who you ask. And my son asked me a question and I'll say, that depends on who you ask. And he said, well, I'm asking you, you know? Yeah. So uh, success for me is not sobriety. Yeah. Yeah. So sobriety uh, is not success because you can go to hell sober. Mm -hmm. You can be a uh, minister society sober. You can be abusive sober. You can commit crime sober. So sobriety is not success. Well, if you ask a lot of recovery organizations, sobriety is success. That's their goal. Yeah. So that's not our goal. Sobriety is not an option. Uh, our goal brings sobriety into it, but sobriety is not the goal. So success is uh, the heartbeat of Jesus, which is evangelism, missions, and discipleship. And so Freeway Ministries is the heartbeat of Jesus. It's evangelism, missions, and discipleship through the local church. But that, not without the local church. Not Lone yeah. Ranger. Through the local church. And so... Um, so for me, being a fully obedient follower of Christ, uh, being discipled, walking with God, making disciples, knowing your identity, fulfilling your calling, whatever that is, and then and, you know, enjoying God and glorifying him forever. So that's a success, right? Yeah. And so, uh, so if you're having, if you, if you, if you have a freeway ministries, you have to say, okay, what is, what is six, what is our ministries? Looks, what is Freeway Ministries here, wherever I plan it, uh, wherever you're at, um, East Coast, West Coast, mid, wherever, Midwest, uh, are people being saved? Evangelism. Are they being discipled, brought into the local church? Okay. Are they are they being missional in their own, you know, their own mm -hmm. city and neighborhood? That's a successful Freeway Ministries. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So in that... Talk to somebody who doesn't know what freeway is and it, what it looks like, especially in Springfield right now on a weekly basis and how that looks. So uh, Freeway Ministries is a bridge to the church. Um, we, I don't like parachurch. I don't really like to use that anymore because it's got a black eye. Uh, parachurch has now replaced a church. Yeah. And so I don't really like that name. Um, unfortunately, people have tarnished it. Uh, we are a bridge ministry. And so we bridge to the local church. And so Freeway Ministries uh, starts out as an outreach of your local church uh, to reach a certain people group in every city and county in America. 
Uh, I tell folks, if you want to reach Haitians, you go to Haiti. If you want to reach Puerto Rico, Puerto Ricans, you go to Puerto Rico. You raise up a national and that national becomes your pastor and that's the one that reads. So we see people who struggle with crime and addiction as a people group. Yeah. And so we are the missionaries to reach that people group. And so we create an outreach alongside your local church that becomes a ministry of your church to reach that people group in your city. We do everything a church does, worship, preaching. We even add some food, childcare, and then we, we do evangelism. And then, and then we preach the gospel and we give them a chance to come to know Christ. And then we invite them to church on Sunday. And then within six months to a year, we open up a women's or men's home or both uh, place, a residential program for them to live in a year long discipleship program to raise them up and mature them in the Lord. And so uh, for us, we've been doing this 12 years, my wife and I. And so, um, you know, we kind of, God's just touched it. I mean, it's not because of us. It's not because of, you know, anything, any kind of method or methodology, methodology. It's, it's because God blessed it and he okay. showed his favor. And uh, so today we have eight homes uh, under our umbrella in, in North Springfield. Um, and so we have uh, weekly meetings uh, under our leadership. We have a Thursday night uh, season class, a, a year-long discipleship program we developed. Um, and then we have um, we have Saturday Night Freeway. And then we have uh, all of our homes that we oversee. And, and uh, they have a women's house. My wife had, oversees three women's houses. My coworker, Casey, oversees five men's homes. Mm-hmm. And, um, and they have weekly Bible studies and stuff that they do as well. And so we had 19 men and women graduate last year. Praise the Lord. Uh, from our homes mm-hmm. and so uh, 90% of them won't go back to drugs or crime uh, that's success yeah for us is they are changed people now mm-hmm. you know I had I had a red bull so I'm a little fired <laughs> I hope it's okay to say that on the podcast absolutely <laughs> okay. and then last year though when we had this you hadn't started the shower trailer ministry yet oh yeah so that's happened since last year that you also do during the week yeah, so we stole that from you guys uh, from your city. We, uh, we're we always looking at We're always trying to figure out new ways to reach people. We don't want to reinvent the wheel, and I don't want to do what the next guy's doing down the road. Why do that? He's doing it already. And so uh, I heard about the shower trailer here in Orlando, and I called the guy who is the CEO or whatever of that organization, and he wanted to come and create that in our city. Nothing against them. Uh, they got a great organization helping a lot of people, uh, but I had a different idea. And so we, uh, I asked him if he would tell me where he bought his shower trailer from, and he said yes. And so I called the manufacturer, and um, we raised $50,000 and bought a shower trailer. And um, we call it Get Clean. Mm. And um, and we, you, know, you, you can hand a homeless person a hygiene pack and a granola bar, clothing but where they're going to take a hot shower at mm-hmm. yeah. so we found that that is the number one need in the street is a safe place to take a hot clean shower there is no place for them mm-hmm. in our city mm-hmm. uh, that's safe they feel safe and um so anyways we started this it's through the the spring and into the fall where when it freezes we we take the shower trailer make it where it won't you know put it up but um <clears throat> so when you walk into the door uh, we actually go pick them up in a bus. We run about 35 people a day through the shower trailer on Tuesdays. 
they come. Each person gets a friend. We we don't we don't use the word counselor because it intimidates people, but it's a friend. And so that friend first thing to do is sign a thing that says they're going to behave. <laughs> you know, if they don't, they got to leave. Uh, and then that friend walks him to the clothing closet. And then we have a resource list we developed with a bunch of questions. So that friend sits down with them and they ask him, first thing is, they ask him is, are you safe? Because we have a resource to get you safe off the street. Are you being trafficked? Um, do you have an identification? Do you have a way to prove who you are? We can help you get an ID. Here's a resource for that. Uh, do you want to get into a residential program? Do you want to go to detox? Do you need to go to the hospital? Uh, here's a list of recovery homes. And then we say, you know, you're going to get on that shower. And literally every person takes a shower and throws their clothes in the trash. They, they, I mean, it's, that's how long they've been wearing them. Hmm. And uh, you're going to be clean. You're going to get dignity, but you're going to get dirty again. But did you know the blood of Jesus? can wash you clean come on and they get saved they get checked in a detox i literally had a guy it's january right now uh and i had a guy last month in december tell me he has not had a shower since the shower trailer mm -hmm. wow. and that was we ended that in september yeah so it's been months mm -hmm. since that guy's had a hot shower wow. and then we feed him lunch and we sit down and eat, eat a meal with him feed himself it's awesome it's so cool so, John, I can tell even just you said it multiple times of you being able to know how people are feeling or looking for their best interests. So can you give a brief, like almost testimony of God's story of saving you and how you how you even know to bring that into this ministry to like to ask a person, are you safe? Like. I, I don't think I would ever think to ask that question. So, well, uh, so just briefly, I never lived in a tent. Uh, I, I'm a city boy. I don't know how to put a tent up right now. I'd be in trouble. I can't make a fire. Can't build a fire. So I wasn't that. I wasn't that homeless guy like that. Mm -hmm. I was. A, I was. I lived from dope house to dope house to couch to couch to you know trap house trap house. But I was homeless uh, from my early twenties till I was thirty years old. I was a drug drug dealer, come from a family of what we call generational crime, uh, generational crime, addiction, and poverty, which basically means everybody I've ever known was one of those three things, poor, criminal, drug addict, mostly all three. Uh, so drugs with my mom, we were crime partners, and she died in 1998. In 99, my brother shot my other brother, and then in 2000, I went from a drug dealer to a drug addict, and then I went. I went it I was a homeless junkie, track marks, all that. And I came to Christ in a prison cell reading the Bible, wanted to know what Jesus did with bad guys. Romans chapter three says there's none good, no, not one. Great news to a bad guy, terrible news to people who think they're good. Yeah. And uh so I, I seen the, the 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 playing field was level and I was a poster child for Christianity according to the word of God. And I just surrendered my life to Jesus. Uh and 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 that is my people group. Yeah. Uh, that is who God has burdened me to reach. That's the ministry he's called me to. And so my wife and I, that's where we serve. Uh, we don't, we haven't got any, any, uh, anyone wanting to hire us anywhere else. But, uh, if they did, I would say no, because this is where God's called us mm. to be. Praise the Lord. And it, it's evident even in your testimony and how God's using you and all that. Um, so we talked about 
freeway cannot succeed without the local church. So Josh, will you tell us just why that's true, why the local church is not only important, but it's it's why it can be successful or why people can be successful. So tell me about that. So, I mean, we talk about how that's just such a huge foundation and heartbeat of it with coming into the local church because that is where, one, when we launched Freeway here a year ago, um, you were a part of it. You know, we, we had a sign-up list. Freeway takes more than just a John and Charlotte or Josh and Alex to run on a Saturday night. You know, six, seven, eight different areas of ministry that happen on a Saturday night. It takes the body of Christ. And that's the local church coming in and being there um, and being a part of it to make it work, to make it function. It's not just for volunteers, but one, that's one of the reasons that we have it. Our second one is that this is their family. Like, you know, we're told not to be, we talk about it, Lone Ranger Christians, that you're supposed to be around a body of believers. Not everybody coming into the discipleship house, men's or women's, comes from generational crime or comes from generational addiction. But a majority of them, I believe, really do. They really come from that, where they have testimonies of growing up with family members, getting high with family members. They can't go home for Christmas or Thanksgiving and, and go to that toxic environment. So where do they go on those days? You know, that's where the local church comes in. Uh, we had, you know, it's just now a year here, and we had testimony of our Thanksgiving and our Christmas here where there were church families said, hey, I want the men to come to our house. We want to host them. And that's the local church family. Um, part of our heartbeat is discipleship. You know, we talked about that. It's men and women being discipled through men and women in the local church. And the part that just um, I hate when I hear uh, church folks say is that I, I just don't know how I could connect with them. I don't know how I can reach them. I don't have that testimony. You know, like I grew up in Iwana in you know, youth group and youth camp. But they need somebody consistent in their life like that. They need somebody that um, can pour into them because for a lot of them, you know, they've never seen somebody grow up and love their wife the way they're supposed to and, you know, be there for the kids the way they're supposed to and put God first in their family the way they're supposed to. So it's the first time they're seeing it. And the only thing they need to have in common is King Jesus. And that's what brings them together. I mean, some of the most amazing relationships that you see through the men and women in our discipleship houses aren't the people that are from their similar backgrounds. It's from people that you would never think would sit in a room together. Um, you know, I always tell the story about um, Dick Templeton taking me to J.C. Penney's to buy my very first suit when we went to South Africa to preach. I didn't own a suit. And, um, you know, they're like a grandma and grandpa to me. And it was from a local church. You know, Dick was a at that time, what, 70-year-old deacon of Crossway Baptist Church. Like, if someone saw us, you know, together, they're like, why are you guys together right now? It doesn't make any sense. So the local church is so important to that. And it impacts them too, because when they come in, we tell them, hey, you don't need to go to your local church on Sunday and just be the freeway people. It should be the local church welcoming in as a church member. And then they're under, you know, for here, Dustin, you know, his shepherding, you know, um, we fall under that authority of the local church that holds us accountable, but then that gives us the family. And that's huge because, they have somewhere to go. They have somewhere to feel safe and be a part of. You know, we long to be a part of something. And they grow through that. That's awesome. And then let me say this, that the church has the resources. Yeah. Uh, just, I don't want to be fake. I just be be straight with you this morning. Uh, you know, you don't have to develop the team. It's there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there's people in the local church looking for something like this. And a lot of people say in the local church, this is something you'll hear. 
you won't hear it publicly, but this is what the pastors get kind of a, you know, they catch this. Uh, what do we benefit from them? They can't give. They don't serve. Mm. They're going to take our resources. But every, I would say, and I'm just throwing a number out there. I haven't looked this up, but I I, I would bet if I had money, I'm not a gambler. But <laughs> if I was, I would say I, I would bet this is a correct statistic. At least 65% of people who struggle in addiction have a family member who has been praying mm. for that grandson, mm. for that nephew. Yeah. And that nephew gets saved and that nephew gets plugged in. Where do you think grandma's going to church at? Yeah. Where do you think grandpa's going to church at? Where do you think uncle, mom, dad, cousin? And that person, I've seen ex-drug addicts fill the pews up. Mm. And, and not only that, they're also givers. They they know how to be sold out. They know how to, they, they get hooked on Jesus, man. And yeah. it is over with. Um, and so, you know, for me, it's, it's cool to see that happen. That's awesome. Yeah. So Alex, why don't you, you've had some experience of this. What, how do you introduce someone who is coming to a freeway service or a shower trailer on a Tuesday? How do you introduce them to feel safe and comfortable and willing to go to a church service on a Sunday morning? Yeah, I, I don't have a background like John or Charlotte or Josh. I grew up as a missionary kid. Church was my life from the very first day I took my first breath. I was probably in the church. And um, so I identify on the church side of, you know, of like what Josh said, how do I talk to these people? I don't, I have nothing in common as far as background. I had both parents in my home. I had brothers and sisters who loved me and my parents loved me. And, you know, we grew up in a good home, you know? And so when I started going to freeway and with Josh, when we were dating, I was scared, not that anything was going to happen to me, but like, I don't know what to say to these people. And over time, I've just learned that we're all, we've all got things in common. Mm -hmm. We're all human. We're all made in the image of God and, and display the glory of God just by taking a breath. And so when, you know, if I was a church member coming to freeway for the first time, I might feel a little nervous and that's okay. Mm -hmm. But you just approach people and see them as, as humans who yeah. need God, just like you need God. And if I didn't grow up in a missionary's home, I likely would have grown up in the same lifestyle that a lot of the people we see on Saturday night is. It's not a respecter of persons, we say, you know. And so, um, yeah, my uh, what I would say to that is, if you're nervous about serving at a freeway or, or talking to somebody who might be on the street begging for money, talk to them like, like they're your brother or sister. You know, like we have the same needs. We we have the same spiritual need of, of Christ and that connects us all. So um, if you feel nervous, it's good. Yeah. Work work with that nervousness yeah. and, and ask the Holy Spirit to give you the courage to, to step out of your comfort zone. So Yeah, that's good. One thing even like I'm naturally an introvert and being a pastor on Sundays, like I have to, it's not my natural instinct to go like, you know, talk to people, like even like church people, like even that. So it is one thing that's always helped me is just find a person. Like if you walk into freeway, like do not be overwhelmed. There, there, there's like 150 people in here. Like, where do I start? Like we find the one, you learn their name and you learn their story and, yeah. and pray for, for anybody. It's how we talk to anybody. Um, 
It's so important. So I kind of know the impact Freeway has had from OBC, but Sharla, what, what's the impact on the local church of introducing Freeway that you've seen? So I've seen um, our church grow. I came into Freeway. Uh, it had just started. It was like two weeks in. And um, so I've got to watch it from kind of the beginning until now. And so um, me personally, I came in. Um, I had just got out of rehab. Um, my brother, he kind of took me under his wing and he take me to church. He took me to freeway. And so watching the church grow from that, watching uh, the church people see our people group and like see just their passion, um, how whenever they're changed, how they love the Lord and they're excited about Jesus and they're excited to tell everybody about it, watching them grow, watching the church people change because they want what they have. They're mm. like, why don't I feel like that? You know? And yeah. so they want that. They're just want a little piece of that, you know? And so watching them, just watching the church grow from that, um, in number, you know, yeah. really our church has been so welcoming to our people group. They, they just love them. They love them to death. And, um, you know, our people group need love because a lot of us never felt that, mm. you know, we didn't grow up in a loving home, you know, so feeling that love makes them feel important. And so you have these grandmas and grandpas <laughs> and aunts and uncles that come and just love on them. And so it just, it just like sets like wildfire, you know, just kind of see it trickle through yeah. the church. And, um, it's just, it's amazing to be yeah. able to watch that. So in, in your guys' local church, what what would you say what percentage of your members are serving at Freeway, I guess, once a month or whatever you guys do it? What would you say? Mm. Her or me? <laughs> I don't know. She wants me to answer. That's what she did. <laughs> Look, um, and I'm, I'm just going to be straight with you. Uh, we run about 2,000 people at our church. Um and I would probably say 15%, maybe 10. So, uh, you know, that's a real statistic. Um, and I, I don't get in my box or nothing because everybody's not serving a freeway because this is the way I see it. I can't be mad at the quilt lady because the quilt people aren't serving at freeway because I don't serve at the quilt ministry. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's a ministry of the local church. Yeah. So everybody has their own distinct giftings and callings. So uh, I can't get mad at the media team for not serving Freeway because I don't serve at the media team. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's, you're missing out in my opinion, because that's where God's called me to be, yeah. you know? So we, we have around 300 volunteers a month and they come from all over. Some people drive for, two or three hours to serve once a mm. month at freeway one way. And so, uh, wow. you know, it, it got supplies to need. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So those, the, why don't you guys share some of the amazing volunteers who would do similar things? Cause uh, I think we have some stories of people who have gone above and beyond this year. So you want to share some stories of that? Yeah. So from, I mean, from that first week that we did the sign up list and we had, I mean, two full sheets of names just for the interest meeting. 
and which was amazing. We were so excited about it and talking about it. I'm like, okay, well, let's see how many actually show up for the actual meetings. You know, it's one thing to say you're interested. Mm-hmm. And then we had the meetings, and both nights we did it on two separate nights, so um, the same meetings, but just because everybody couldn't be on the same night. So the rooms were packed, completely packed out, and that's where we started. That's where our leaders signed up that are still leading today for um, our eight areas of ministry. And now we're at that one-year mark, um, and all it's done is grown, which means more work, uh, more laborers, more volunteers, and we've seen the team leaders just absolutely own it. Um, and I don't think they fully knew what they were getting into. <laughs> we showed some free uh, videos from Freeway headquarters. Uh, there was a team that went down to Springfield. They got to see it in person, but I mean, there that was nine, ten of the mm-hmm. you know volunteers. And for us, on our numbers right now, we'll run anywhere from twenty-five to thirty volunteers on a Saturday night. That's what it takes for us to make it happen. So. For them to be there four Saturdays a week, you know, and then our fifth Saturdays that we have, we've seen these individuals just absolutely own it. But get excited. Um, I think of your dad, um, mm-hmm. who oversees um, the kitchen ministry and cooks for that. I'm not like a person that is super detailed with things. And Scott is like, okay, we have, we're making 150 meals. I've got it down to $1.16 per person and knows like, that was an answer to prayer. That literally was. But then I just remember the first couple of weeks when Scott was saying, hey, I went to work. I started telling some of the guys at work about it. I think I have some more people. And just seeing the excitement um, that has happened, it gives people a place to serve that's been in the church maybe for a long time. God stirs them up again. They see the people worshiping, and they see the freeway people getting excited. And they say, I want some of that. And we're saying, you've had it this whole time. And it's God just reviving them and just renewing them. And I think... It gives people a place that have really been looking um, to serve with the grandmas and grandpas. And I mean, there's not a lot of areas of ministry, like outside of children's ministry, where you could become like a grandma or a grandpa or a mom and really mm-hmm. look at it like that way. And now you have grown men and grown women in the church when they see you on a Sunday and like, think of Vicki Sebastian, we call her Mama yeah. Vicki, you know, and like her and Steve and how they became. And Josh and Tyler and Frankie, when they see them in the Sunday school class, you know, our guys are excited. Hey, we got a seat yeah. for you here. And, like it makes no sense at all, you yeah. know? Um, and so seeing that impact on the local church, but also how they've impacted our men and our people, because I watch them have conversations with our, we have a lot of regular guests that consistently come mm-hmm. that we've been able to build the relationships with and they have relationships with them and they could tell they're not treating them like projects, but they're loving them. They're asking, how was your week? What's new? They remember what they talked about last week. They said, hey, I know you're trying to get into housing. How did that go? You know, did the coalition call you back or where are you at in that? And um, it's just it's been amazing seeing these volunteers step up uh, and just really take ownership and bring new ideas to the table. And because I can't figure it all out. And yeah. I like, you know, we give them that freedom. Hey, you're in it in a different capacity than I am. So what do you think would work better? What we change and we're able to come together like that. So it, it's been amazing and such a blessing. And then we added the residential, we call them residential teams. It's our rehab, aspire men and aspire women. And that takes a whole new set of people. And um, Janet and Neil Franklin, um, who we met a year ago um, tonight at Freeway <laughs> Sanford. That was the first time that I met, um, I don't think, I don't know if Neil was there that night. Um, I met Janet. And um, Janet, when you watched this, I was a little intimidated. Um, You just, I could tell you had a heavy heart. And I know 
Um, now, after getting to know you, it's just because a couple months earlier, your son Noah had passed away from a drug overdose. And now, how you and Neil, how they're serving, and they're the mom and dad for our men's aspire. Like the men um, graduate and they come out, they want to go see Janet and Neil. We had one guy write him a letter and talk about um, how big an impact that Dave made in their life. And he's like, I didn't know where I was at. You helped save my life. Mm. And it has given them a purpose in their pain. And they um, they are an answer to prayer and a blessing to the Lord. And it's yeah. just, that was God. We couldn't figure that out Absolutely. or orchestrate that. Um, like that was God. So it's just, it's been so amazing to see that here. Yeah. So that, that's a good segue. Uh, addiction touches everybody. And as you said, it's no respecter of person. So, and this is a hard ministry. Um, so for someone watching this who doesn't really know what to do, like what, how do you handle somebody who's constantly relapsing? And this is open to whoever wants to do that because everybody has family, friends, or children and don't know what to do. Um, what would you say to them about that? Or how to even take a step of helping someone? Well, um, let's, <clears throat> first of all, addiction is not the problem. Yeah. Addiction is what you see. Mm. Uh, I was sitting across from a guy who is um, a pro golfer. And um, I told him addiction is not his problem. Addiction is what you see. Uh, the problem is something else. And that something else is the reason they keep relapsing. Something else is the reason that they're turning to addiction. And for me, just to be as honest as I can be this morning, uh, you know, your problem is you don't know who you are and you don't know what your purpose is. It's your identity and your purpose. And so... Um, <laughs> You know, you can't give up on them because they keep relapsing. Um, you have to be obedient. And you, and the only way you can be obedient to love them is you invest. And so what you invest is instructions. And, you, and your instructions are uh, the Word of God. You know, um, you give them something to do. And so how do I know if someone's serious? I need them to hit rock bottom. How do I know they're at rock bottom? Well, rock bottom is, a, is, a, is not a place. Rock bottom is a state of mind. And so... People will give up because they'll say, this person has relapsed so many times and they've had all these tragic things happen. And this last time I said, I'm done. Mm. Now there's somebody listening right now and they said, that's me, right? I'm the one that said that, that I'm done because I thought that they hit rock bottom when they lost their house. So I rented them a place to live. I thought they hit rock bottom when they lost their children to DFS, Division Family Services, or CPS uh, Children Protective Services, whatever state you live in. So when they lost the kids and then I had to get the kids and take custody of my grandkids, I thought that would be it. Mm. But then this happened. Mm. Well, how far can they go to hit rock bottom, right? But you have to tell you, you have to remind yourself that rock bottom is not a place. Rock bottom is a state of mind. And so it's the place where you finally say, I've had enough. Mm. I'm done. I'll do what, this is the word you want to hear. I'll do whatever it takes. Yeah, That's what I'm looking for. And so when I hear you say, I'll do whatever it takes, I always ask, will you do whatever it takes? And you say, yes. How do I know if you're serious? I'm going to give you something to do. Yeah. And so I'm going to invest instructions because that's the only thing I can invest in a drug addict that he can't trade for drugs. Mm. Instructions. It's good. And I wrote a book called stop loving your kids to death. That's in mm. the book. Uh, so I'm investing instructions. 
And the return to my investment is what? You doing what I tell you to do. That's my return on investment. And so as I instruct you, I'm obedient. I'm giving you instructions. My my return on investment is you doing what I tell you to do. And I'm going to give you some more. And you're going to return. And I'm going to give you some more. Jesus said, follow me. He, he, what did he do? He invested in instructions. And what happened if you didn't follow him? You think he went back and said, oh, please. <laughs> you know? He said, you're not ready yet. Yeah. And so, uh, so that's how you know. And so I would encourage you to invest instructions, to not give up because they, because rock bottom is a, is a state of mind, not a place. So don't get into the thing of thinking how much further they can go because this person could have watched their family die in a house fire because of meth explosion and not stopped. But one day they get pulled over and, you know, one day they break down the side of the road, you know, and so rock bottom is a state of mind. And, um, and here's the other side of this. They may never stop relapsing. You know, you may have to minister to that person for the rest of their lives in a state of constant relapse mm. and love them all the way to the end and watch them die and do their funeral. Mm. And have to pay for their, you know, for them to nine hundred dollar cremation or something, you know. And we've done that. And so, why are you doing it? What's your motivation? My motivation is not to get you to quit the relapsing. Mm -hmm. My motivation is the faithfulness of God, that I'm going to faithfully love you and serve you and minister to you in the context you're in, regardless of if you quit relapsing or not. Yeah. So. That's good. Yeah, that's good. Um. Charlotte and Alex, I'm going to ask you guys this um, to kind of go off of that, that this this ministry is tough. Like John even just said, like sometimes you have to do someone's funeral um, who never stops relapsing. Um, and I think you can also answer this for them um, as well as yourselves. But on the hard days of ministry, how do you stay motivated uh, when you don't see fruit? Just remembering not to take things personal. That's something that John taught me from the get-go of doing the women's discipleship. Housing, um, you know, I literally just went to a funeral not long ago of a girl that graduated our program that used to call us mom and dad. Mm. So it's hard. Yeah. Mm. But you just keep going. Because there's going to be that one. Yeah. you know, that gets it and does so good. And you see them going into ministry and you see them, you know, just shining for the Lord. And so on the hard days, just remembering not to take it personal. Yeah. Yeah. And praise the Lord. He can save yeah. anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would say the same thing. I, I naturally take things very personally, very easily. And so sometimes I want, I wonder why God put me in this ministry uh, where I can so easily take everything personally. I remember the first girl that I discipled um, at our previous freeway um, who was, you know, was an addict and really she was showing really good signs of, of wanting to do whatever it took to, to change. And so we started discipleship and I think we got through like six weeks of discipleship. Um, I was dedicating more than just that hour of discipleship with her to that, you know, and then she just dropped off the face of the earth. I didn't hear from her again. And I remember coming home to Josh and being like, I'm not doing that again. <laughs> that hurt because I, I put so much in, um, and 
Josh reminded me, you know, she's got something going on with the Lord that she needs to take care of. And so I've learned a lot over these years doing this ministry that I have to forgive him. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I ask, I have to ask God to help me forgive him because mm-hmm. I don't always want to. Yeah. And um, I, I pray, Lord, I forgive them for hurting me in a way that they probably didn't even know they hurt me. And God, I ask that you would forgive them. And would you transform their heart, not to see that they hurt me, but to see that they've grieved you and that they need to come to you in repentance. And so when I pray that, that prayer of forgiveness, then my thoughts towards them changes. It's, yeah. it's not, I'm so mad at them. I'm never going to do this again. Then it's, oh man, Lord, today, would you bring them to a place where they can't, they can't reach the dope man. They've, they, you know, they've reached the end of all their resources and they've got to come to you. And so, um, I think forgiveness is the way that we get through this ministry, honestly, forgiving the people that hurt us without knowing that they hurt us, forgiving the people who hurt our, our husbands as the wives. I take things for Josh personally, (laughs) you know, he doesn't have to be offended. I'll be offended for him, you know? And so, um, and then on the on the pastor's wife's side, on the, the freeway director's wife's side, um, just encouraging him to keep going because it's easy to quit. We see people quit all the time. And uh, when we do it for our, our own glory, then we're going to quit because the glory is too much for us to bear. So we got to say, and I try to remind myself and Josh too, the one who gets the glory gets the burden. So I'm giving the glory to God. So he's going to shoulder the burden of this ministry, not us. That's good. So, yeah. That reminds me if we've been talking about it, but we're reading this book as a staff called A Praying Church. And he keeps talking about resurrection power. We talk about the power of God, but this resurrection power, the same power that raised Christ from the dead is the same resurrection power that it takes to forgive people over and over and over again, because it's not easy. It's hard. It's supernatural. In the same way, like somebody coming to Christ is resurrection power. Dead to life is not like that is that's crazy. Like that's supernatural power. Um, and that's amazing. So, John, you got your you got your Bible open. So I want to know what you got to say. I just want to mention something that's it's a it's a life changing truth that God showed me. Um, you know, there's those seasons in ministry. Uh, seasons of you, you know, you're on the mountaintop, and mm-hmm. uh, sometimes the mountaintop can destroy you. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know, Elijah on the mountaintop quit on God, mm-hmm. and uh, and then there's the valley, you know, and the seasons of everything. Why does this keep happening? You know, we lost a girl a few days ago, she walked out, you know, uh, the program, and you know, it's just like okay. And uh, one thing that I've learned that has just helped me tremendously in ministry is that um, when I take failure personal, I also take success personal. Mm. And the reason I know that is because it's false pride. It's like a sneaky pride. Uh, When people are failing and I'm taking it personal, it's because I feel like I'm the one that makes them fail and succeed. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so think about that. Yeah. And so when I'm taking failure personal, I'm saying it's my fault they fail. And if I say it's my fault they fail, underneath that, I really believe it's my fault when they succeed. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. uh, neither one of those are my business. Yeah. And, and so I have to be obedient and let God worry about the consequences of my obedience. My obedience is my business. Failure success is not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so I was reading 1 Corinthians 3, 
we've been going through the book at Freeway on Saturday night, and I found this verse, uh, and it just kind of opened my eyes up. Um, and it's First Corinthians three thirteen. Paul's talking about your work and your rewards. And, you, and they were comparing preachers to each other. And Paul said, you're acting like a bunch of babies stuck on your mother's breast. Yeah. Not milk, not bottles, because they didn't have bottles, right? They're breastfed, milk, you know. So he's saying you're still on the teat, you know. And then just think about a grown man breastfeeding from his mother. It's like he was slapping them around, you know. He yeah. said and the reason is is because, <laughs> because, you're, because you're comparing preachers to each other. He's like, I can't even give you meat yeah. because yeah. you're you're acting like lost the lost person without the spirit of God in chapter two. They can't know the things of God. And here's my evidence. And he says, don't give people too much credit for their ministry because you don't know their heart. Yeah. First Corinthians chapter four. Uh, let God praise them on that day. And so here's what he says. He says in first Corinthians chapter three, verse 12, he says, now, if anyone builds on this foundation, you know, the gospel, the truth of Jesus Christ. Uh, who he is, uh, forgiveness through grace, by grace through faith, um, not of works. And and so if you have the foundation right, he says, now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, hay, wood, or straw, this is your ministry. This is what you build on Christ. This is your doctrine. Uh, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. Now look at this. So if anyone's if, if anyone's work which he builds on endures, he will receive reward. But if anyone's work is burned up, he will, he will uh, receive loss. But he himself will be saved as a fire. So if you look at that, what am I going to be judged by? The size of my ministry? Mm. What will I be judged by? How many people get saved? How, how, how you know, what will I be judged by? One thing. My work. Who is a harder worker? Jeremiah or Jonah? <laughs> Who had a bigger ministry? Jeremiah's work. Didn't have a lot of people saved. Mm. Didn't have very many people believe in him. Jeremiah's work. He quit. Cried, complained, cared more about a fern than he did about people who were going to be judged. He wanted them to be judged. He sat on the hill, you know. Yeah, I will be judged according to my work. Nothing else. And so, uh, so how I serve the Lord faithfully, one day will be judged. All that other stuff is God's business, man. Mm. That's good. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And Jonah went and said, man, Lord, I didn't, I didn't want to go preach because I knew you forgive them all. Like, Whoa, yeah. I what a statement. Happen. I know. And then he was mad. And he's like, yeah, seriously, man, I knew you're going to be merciful. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's amazing. So we're about to celebrate a year of freeway Orlando. Um, and it's, uh, it's amazing what God has done. So Josh kind of just give us as much as you can remember, because it's a lot. Like, what has happened this year? What are the big highlights, big things we can praise God for? We can praise God for the whole thing. It's all yeah. good. But what are some things that come time. to mind? Yeah, I know. Um, well, starting out, one thing that John said, once you launch the freeway as a ministry of the local church, that within six months to a year, 
try to get a men's or women's or both discipleship houses. Um, we started with two men's discipleship houses before our ministry even launched. Um, yeah. Through God's provision, God's alone, um, through an individual that you know, no one pitched Freeway and told them about this amazing ministry they could be a part of. Um, it was a thousand percent God. Um, so yeah, so tonight is the one year anniversary of Freeway Sanford, and this Saturday is one year anniversary of Freeway Orlando. Uh, and it's been amazing. God has done so much. So we have a men's house in Sanford, Florida. We have a men's house in Orlando, Florida. Ours is literally right across the street. Mm -hmm. um, so that's an answer to prayer. Um, a year ago, uh, we were doing the same podcast, and we had three other men here, um, Trey and Jason and Josh. And our goal as we flew them out here was to say, hey, we want you guys to be praying about would you surrender your life to your ministry to help us launch uh, a house in this ministry and just be a part of this and train in leadership and just surrender to ministry for a year. Um, this very day, two of those men are here living yeah. full-time in ministry. Um, Josh Pruitt is our house leader, um, and he has been an answer to prayer. Um, he has impacted so many people in this church. Um, he is also now the facility manager of Orlando Christian Prep School. Yeah. Um, he got employee of the month with his yeah. you know picture up in the school office there, uh, and he's impacting the school yes, and the is. teachers and the kids. Uh, so that's a huge, huge answer to prayer and celebration. Just one of them right there. Yeah. Um, you know, in our first night, it was big because it got to like thirty degrees, thirty two degrees in January here, which isn't very normal from yeah. what I understand. It's so miserable. They, yeah, me. Yeah, that's what's it. That was. Yeah, that was Thank the Missouri you. wind Thank coming you. through. So they opened uh, the cold weather shelter, which, like, you know, it's so normal for that to stay open for a few months in a row in Springfield in our areas. That's not normal for it to happen here. So because of that, we got to have a lot of people um, sent to one place in the shelter. We found out. We were able to pick them up. That first night packed out amazing. Yeah. Then we start going to normal services and, you know, struggling and understanding, you know, as we talk, oh, it's not about the numbers, not about the numbers, but it's still – um, it's still hard to deal with when yeah. you see that. So the next, you know, couple months, um, you know, we still had 40, 50, 60 people. It, it was amazing. But God kept filling them more and more. And it was our people coming on Saturdays. It was their word of mouth. They'd go back out to the streets and say, hey, let me tell you about this place. Mm -hmm. And they're inviting people. And so God started filling up through that. And one of our avenues um, is connecting with the local rehabs. That's not always easy because, you know, they're usually state-ran secular rehabs. Um, they have a different philosophy of how to help somebody and fix somebody and get them sober. Um, success. Yeah, success, exactly. And so that's one thing we started reaching out to. You know, That's big for me because Freeway came and picked me up in 2015. Mike and Stell pulled up in that old brown van and went out was purple. It had the brown. Purple brown. Little plush interior. Sounds beautiful. Yeah. I like it. And uh, this guy came and picked me up. People told me about this place we can go. They had clothes, and you could get soda there, and you couldn't have soda at rehab. So <laughs> I said, okay, I'll go. Um, and through that, you know, eight years later, I'm here. So we were able, through God's provision, he opened a door for um, Aspires Men Rehab. And now we have men coming every week, and we have our own VIP section for them. And that was special in my heart. It reminded me of back home, and it was just so cool. Yeah. And, and then... They saw how these men were getting saved on a Saturday night. They were going back into the secular rehab, and the director said that 
they're changing the culture here. <laughs> so we want to have you pick up every Saturday now instead of every other Saturday, and we gain that trust. Um, and now we're to the point where we're able to be on campus every Wednesday, um, which it's been you and Eddie and Jeremiah for the last like month, um, and you guys are leading discipleship there um, with their men, and they just gave us free open doors and free reign for that every Wednesday that we yeah. get to go and do that. Um, so our next prayer was, well, we have a women's Aspire Rehab under the same umbrella but different leadership right down the street from us. And we tried, and it took a little bit, and then God opened the door for that. So now every Saturday we have the women's rehab in their own VIP section. Um, and we have men's and women's every Saturday that are going to be here. And it's a little different mindset because we do have a very heavy populated homeless crowd here on Saturday nights. But when you have people coming in through rehabs, you already have somebody making one step in the direction to change their life. It might not be towards Christ. They're looking for something mm -hmm. to change. Um, they're there maybe begrudgingly because of a, a family member or court order, but there, there's a step taken. Yeah. Um, so it's a different mindset. Um, so just that's such a huge answer to prayer with that that we've been yeah. praying for. Um, and then, you know, going in the jails, we're doing that on Tuesday at Orange County Jail. And then was it May you guys came when we met with Ricky Dixon and yeah. Patrick? So um, like a month before we launched Freeway last year, John gets an email. He calls me. He said, are you sitting down? I said, okay, what now? And he said, the secretary for the Department of Correction for the state of Florida just sent me an email. The person in charge of all 145 prisons, 143 prisons in the state of Florida, he just sent me an email. He got my book. I don't know how. And he said, you know, listen, like this ministry, you know, essentially this ministry sounds great. Um, I'm a Christian. I want to see how we can implement this in Florida. If you guys ever interested in starting a freeway in Florida, let us know. And so, you know, him and John correspond back. He's like, actually, we're launching one in two weeks there. So um, then in May of this year, he came down. Um, him and Patrick uh, Mahomes. Mahoney. Wait. Not Mahomes. I was Whoa. like, that sounded weird for a sec. Patrick Potential Mahoney. donor. Yeah. Patrick, if you're watching. Uh, so... They came down and we sat across the street in our discipleship house in the living room and we just talked about the ministry. John got to share his story, um, you know, how this ministry just is impacting people in cities and states all over the United States. And they said, well, what we can do for you is give you access to these prisons. We have over 96,000 inmates under essentially his rule um, and his authority here. And he said, we can give you open access to that. And I mean, that's a lot to start with, you know, but what's crazy is we found out that the prison closest to us is 15 minutes away, yep. Central Florida Reception Center, which is the second largest reception center in the state of Florida. They have a thousand new inmates come every single month. And because of that, tomorrow, 19 of us are going to walk into that prison and they're giving us full access um, in a chapel. We're going to bring in a worship team and preach and share testimonies and have a time for response. And, and that's just, it doesn't make sense. Um, we have people coming in um, on probation that's not supposed to be there, and the wardens let us do it. Yeah. So um, I hope the wrong people don't see this podcast and get mad about it. But, I mean, I got to testify to that because that's, I mean, that's God. It doesn't make sense. Absolutely. Well, and they, they are for us, though. They want us to be a resource for people when they get out. They said the closest um, 
resource that we have for any kind of residential housing is in Jacksonville. We didn't know anything around here existed mm. like this in their own hometown. So we said, well, we have two, Sanford and Orlando. Yeah. So that's just another amazing thing. Um, and let me say that when Ricky Dixon called me or emailed me, it was in December, I was struggling. Mm. I was in a spirit of discouragement. And um, he emailed me, and it was just right on time. And uh, mm. he said a lobbyist gave him my book. And I thought, in Tampa. Mm. And I thought, isn't that crazy? Yeah. You know, so. Can't make that the up. The way God works. What's some, I mean, everything's just rushing and running through my yeah. mind right now. There's a lot. We, yeah. 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 I mean, we're, we're at about 130 to 150 people every Saturday now. Um, when it's your, full. How about your men? Yeah. Men's house. Okay. We'll go to that next. Yeah. Um, so we're getting close to outgrowing our space on a Saturday night already. Um, so that's a praise report and a prayer request. Um, the XP of this church keeps me up at night a little bit. Yeah. Um, so our men's discipleship house, that's another thing. So if we wanted to fill any of our men's and women's discipleship houses, I believe we can do so like within a day. But we have such an amazing vetting process, which Casey Merrick was such a, a huge part of that, just putting these things together. I mean, it's been amazing. Like we use what he's put together here to help vet people because at the end of the day, like John said, we want to take somebody that's willing to do whatever it takes. Yeah. That might not have a dime to their name. We won't ever turn somebody down because of funds and not being able to move in because of rent. We don't advertise that because we still have to pay um, to keep things going. But over somebody that just has a parent that said, I'll pay for their full year's rent up front if you'll just take my kid. Um, we don't want that. We want them willing to do whatever it takes. Yeah. Um, and right now we have two men in the house, um, Frankie and Tyler. Um Tyler was our first guy that came in. Um, he got released from Orange County um, on 33rd Street here. Um, they threw him out on the street at 1130 at night after we went all day trying to get him released in a pickup time. And he finally calls us. We're sitting there, Josh and I up all night, checking our phones like, you know, he's not showing up. He's not showing up. Well, they just ended up putting him up and finally releasing him at 1130 at night on 33rd Street, which is right by Set downtown. Set for like, success right yeah, there. Yeah, I mean, just setting somebody up for failure. And... Tyler got a hold of us right away. He called us. Yeah. And so um, Josh hopped into Uber and met him straight down there, picked him up. And um, Tyler is now um, doing amazing. He's going on about two and a half months. Um, and he's just, you've seen the transformation in him. You've seen this joy in him. Uh, you've seen him just get excited about the things of God that he's doing. He has this church family now here. Um, a big impact in his life and Frankie's life is are church people that are just loving on them unconditionally. Um, I even think about like Christmas Eve and Christmas day. Like the guys in the freeway house were busy. Yeah. Like we had all these families like come over here, like on Christmas Eve, on Christmas day, like, and go into the house. Like it was amazing and so cool for me to see. And it was so life given from them. Um, You know, I had multiple families. Hey, can we have them over? And I'm saying uh, another family is already having them over. We can't do that. Um, so both of them are on GPS. They call it community control, ankle monitoring. So it's very restricted where they can go to. So on Christmas Day, they couldn't travel anywhere. We had multiple families on Christmas Day 
take time out of their family's time and they came over to the house. They brought food. Some of them stopped and just uh, played games, brought card games and board games over and just spent the time with them. So um, they're doing amazing. And then we had Frankie come in probably about a month after Tyler um, in Orange County Sheriff's Department, drove up in a vehicle and dropped him off at our doorstep and said, hey, you have basically custody of him for the next year. So now these two men for the next year of their life are healthy members of a local church being discipled by the local church. They were both labeled menace to society here in the community of Orange County. Now they are productive members of society. They're paying taxes. They are now serving back in this community anywhere from four to eight hours every week, like back in the same community that they were once, you know, had this label they carried over their head. And they're being discipled and they're going to book study and Bible study and God is growing them and just revealing himself to them. And so you just seeing this change and this change that happens through the spirit of God and they're doing so great. What I'm excited about is we have other men coming in the house pretty soon, but there's been such a change in the short amount of time in both of their lives. They're going to set such a good foundation Mm -hmm. um, as the other men come in. Yeah. So that's good. Alex, anything pop into your mind? Just big, big praises that, I mean, as we talked about what success is, I mean, I think God is glorified and and he's showing himself in all of these incredible stories that we're sharing. I think that's the success that yeah. that we get to say God's getting all the glory for this. It's nothing that we could do because we're not smart enough to do stuff like yeah. that, you know? And so I I mean, we could share a hundred yeah. stories. And every single one of them points back to God's hand being on Absolutely. this ministry, yeah. not because of our ability. And who knows why he chose us, but I'm just thankful yeah. that yeah. we're a part of it. Yeah. And I think of even when you're saying Aspire, it's in those rehabs we partner with, it's good to say again, these are secular, yeah. like state-funded rehabs that we get to pick up. And I remember with the guys, they were they're like, they can come. They can come on a Saturday night. They're definitely not coming on a Sunday. And then they got to come on Easter Sunday. Yeah. Like that that was when I was like, this is this is weird. And I think this Sunday we had three guys who graduated from the Aspire program, whether it was 30, 60, 90 days. Guys that were in our have come on Saturday nights and sometimes were in our Wednesday one o'clock discipleship, like drove themselves willingly. And the one guy who drove them the first time he came on a Wednesday, he was like, I don't like literally said out loud, I don't think I believe any of this, but I'm kind of like open. And like, he came to church on Sunday and that it was amazing. Um, an amazing thing that God is doing. And I want to talk about it real quick. So that that's a praise report. So yeah, these three men graduated and they came this first Saturday by themselves, drove themselves to freeway, but then they showed back up on Sunday and it's Jeffrey, Germany, uh, and Kevin and um, to see them just respond to prayer. And Dustin got to pray with them. And then we had a volunteer sign up because we made an announcement and said, hey, um, our kitchen ministry and our children's ministry is in desperate need of volunteers. We need people so bad. And I was standing at the booth with a stand-up list, and they come up like, are we allowed to do this now? Can we serve here? And they signed up to serve. And Germany, I didn't know he was coming, and as I'm – you know, right on the list, somebody taps me on the shoulder and I look over and he's just standing there with the biggest smile on his face. They're like, I'm here, Josh, I'm here. 
Well, the first yeah. night that he came to Freeway was the first night he got into the rehab. Yeah. And at the end of the service, during the altar call, he ended up being the gentleman that I prayed with. And I just said, what can we pray for tonight? And he said, I need to surrender my life to Christ tonight. I said, well, tell me your story. And so we talked, but this is his testimony. This is how it's impacting the culture of Aspire. He said, I don't like being around a lot of people. So everyone went in the cafeteria to eat. I got my lunch and I sat on the bench outside. One guy walked by me. He said, hey, there's a church service tonight. You want to go? And he said, no, I don't want to go to church. He said a few minutes later, another guy walked by him. He said, hey, there's this church tonight. It's called Freeway. You should come. And he said, it's not like normal church. He goes, no, no, I'm good. There's, I think there's football anyways. I'm going to watch football and stay here. He said, not even two minutes later, there was a, another guy. Three guys walked by him and said, hey, we're going to this place called Freeway tonight. You should come. So he decided to come. And because of that, his life was changed for eternity that night. And he was at, now yeah. he's at church yeah. coming yes. on his own. Signed so, up to serve. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, so that's a little bit about Freeway Orlando. So as we talk about Freeway Ministries, which I, I think Josh told me it's 10 locations in total, what is some things we can praise God for just in rec- in the last year, possibly, of, of how it's grown or what God's done? Well, we're, we're at 11 now. Okay. We started one in Mountain View, Missouri mm. uh, a couple few months ago. Yeah. And so we've got, um, so that's something incredible. Uh, you know, we, we have a lot of churches interested. Um, we've got a guy going on a vision trip at the end of the month in Oklahoma uh, to talk to a church there. I'll be in Atlanta in a few months. I'll be going there to talk to a church in, right outside of Atlanta, Georgia. Um, <clears throat> one of the things that is uh, we went through kind of a year and recap at our annual board meeting. And, um, you know, we, we have seen, we purchased two new homes. Uh, we have a second stage woman's house now, uh, which has been incredible. Um, we are, uh, we are expanding our building. Uh, we had some leasers. We, we, we bought a 37,000 square foot building and we leased out 12,700 square foot of it. And, uh, we, we invited them to leave. Uh, and so we are busting out of the seams at our children's ministry, uh, infant to fifth grade. And so we are moving our offices next door and we are uh, using our office space for more children's space now. And so we're in the middle of that right now, uh, which is incredible. And uh, so that's, that's really cool. We'll have our offices separate now from the rest of the building. And then we uh, we're looking at 25 opening a community center okay. uh, with the far end space. Uh, you, that probably means nothing to you, but <laughs> there's an area at the end there. Uh, it has its own address and stuff, uh, so which is incredible, um, really really cool. Uh, what one of the things that we did was we created a Timothy project, which is a four month internship program, to where we raise up men and women, uh, train them the best we can uh, to learn how to do freeway, and then those folks will be missionaries to go out. Not all of them, but some of them. So we've got five new interns right now. Uh, last week was the beginning. Last week, this week. This week. Tuesday. Tuesday. Tuesday was the first day uh, for the for the new interns, and so it's pretty cool. I'm not there, and it's happening. Mm. You Amen. know, uh, awesome. and so uh, you know, I don't know what God's gonna do. I mean, yeah. it's just exciting to see it happen. So for me, you know, this expansion, um, uh, all these different churches wanting to do freeway and then creating a way to multiply instead of add. And, you know, 
having a busy schedule and just seeing God mm-hmm. pour out his blessing. So for me, that's it's too much to name, but those are a few things. How about you? I mean, the building thing is a huge thing. We've been running really high numbers in our childcare. Um, we have a bus ministry that goes and picks up kids from the uh, low-income apartments, and um, that has brought a different demographic in, and so able to minister to them and love on them, but it's grown us. And so um, we're just busting. Hmm. And so to see this expansion, um, our leader, uh, we have uh, Lori who does our, she does uh, the behind the scenes story, craft, all that, puts all that stuff together for us, the lesson and stuff. And so um, she's excited. We'll have our own teaching room to be able to take the kids into this room. It won't be so loud and where other kids, like our youth ministry, is getting bothered because they hear all these other kids and it's just loud and rambunctious. And so having um, more space to be able to break the kids up into age groups um, so we don't have so many kids in one classroom together, to be able to minister to them more, to be able to have um, more of a teacher-to-kid ratio mm-hmm. to be smaller and yeah. so be able to minister to them and they can actually hear the gospel. Um, the kids love coming they love being there. They love, they're learning. Even when you think they're not listening, they're still learning because they can tell you, you know, but um, just ministering to them. That's exciting to me to be able to expand that. Um, the women's housing, you know, getting the second stage house was a definite answer prayer for me and for the, some of the ladies that has been there too. So watching these girls continue to go on to the second stage to grow, to join the Timothy project. I have two of them right now that is in the second stage house that started this week. Can you Timothy define project. what the difference first and second stage houses yeah. are? Yeah. So the first stage house is our year long discipleship program that they first come into. Um, once they graduate the one year program, they can choose to go to the second stage house where they don't have as many um, rules that they have to follow. It's kind of more lenient. They have a little bit of wiggle room to see how well they do on their own. Um, so they're not um, that I can still drug test them if I need to, but I don't unless it's, you know, a suspicion, things like that. They're able to date as long as they talk to John and I and get permission to do that. So they they have some freedom, you know, with that. So that's the difference between the first and second. So I have two girls that are in the second stage house right now that just started the Timothy Project this week. The second stage house is full. Yeah, Hmm. yeah. So it is Hmm. is awesome to be able to see that. That's amazing. These girls are growing. They're finding their identity, not in a man, not, you know, codependent. They're yeah. they're finding out they can do this on their own. Amen. You know, when a lot of them leave because they don't yeah. feel like they can do it on their yeah. own. They feel like they have to have a man in order to be successful or to pay their bills and things like that. So just watching them see that they can do this yeah. and they're finding their identity and they're growing and they're changing. So one of the cool things as well that we last 12 months is uh, we received a, uh, a scholarship program to a Bible college. Big shout out to Baptist Bible College, yeah. uh, which is an accredited university. And um, all that our people, they apply through world headquarters. And this goes to every freeway location. Yeah. Um, to anyone serving or in the program that graduates the program, um, they can apply through us. And as long as they can get a FAFSA, they get a full ride scholarship. And there's three degrees offered 
And if they do good in the first, their associates, they can go all the way to a master's. Wow. And uh, we have almost 20 men and women in Bible college right now that come from our background who are excelling. Mm -hmm. Last year, the Good class God. speaker for fellowship week was one of our graduates. Mm -hmm. um, and so, uh, and the, the professors tell me that our students are their favorite students <laughs> because Man. they pay attention, they're listening, they're learning. They want to be there. Yeah. Be there. Yeah. And so for me, that's pretty stinking cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. That's awesome. And there's a lot to pray for with the expansion and the possible community center. Uh, Josh, what's, or Alex, what's something big we're praying for in the future of looking into this second year of Freeway Orlando? So um, we have two big things coming up for this year that we're doing. Um, I'll hit those first. So our first one, we're going to do our very first Save Our City annual night of giving is what we're calling it. It's on March 1st. Um, we're sending out some save the dates right now. So, um, check your mailboxes. Um, and then we're going to have some more information on it, but, um, you know, we're praying for, we need 30 people, um, to be table sponsors. We need 30 people to be table sponsors. We're going to hold it on a Friday night, March 1st. Um, and then we have a lot of people that support freeway and love freeway that aren't here locally that can't be a part of it. So we have different ways that you can sponsor that night and sponsor that event. Um, so if you don't have, um, a flyer or you didn't get one, you can go to freewayflorida.com, freewayflorida.com and all the event information is on there and we're doing it combined with Freeway Orlando and Freeway Sanford together. We just, we want to have that unity. We want to partner together. We want to share our resources because I believe that's how we can be the most kingdom impactive here um, is through doing that. And I'm so grateful for our leadership and restorations leadership, and they have that same vision. So that's a big one. Um, and then following that up, we're going to have our first Save Our City revival, which John is coming back for, and that is August 28th. 29th and 30th it'll be a thursday friday saturday night we're going to be holding a three-night revival here at orlando baptist church inviting all the other churches in our local area inviting other um rehab facilities addiction recovery ministries um from public defender's office any community resources that um has affiliation or reaches this people group mm -hmm. or has a heart for it, um, they will be able to set up your booths here and talk about your area, your ministry, um, your organization, your church, because we don't want to be territorial. We want people to come together this night. And that Saturday, August 31st, is the National Drug Overdose Awareness Day. Okay. Um, so that will be our final night as we close it out. And it will be three nights of just revival, um, preaching. John's going to be bringing the word. We're going to have testimonies. We're, we're so, so, so so excited for that. So those those are our two big things. Um, our next big thing is we want to get a women's house. So um, we fall as number two uh, in the United States for sex trafficking, um, where we're at in Orlando. And there is a huge need for women. There's a lot of temporary places right now all over Orlando. Orlando has been great about having resources, but it's very short term. It's very temporary. And I'm just to be honest, most of them aren't Christ Center. Um, and we want to have that here. So that's a big thing that we're praying for next. That's awesome. Yeah. And so that's for Freeway Orlando. And if you're watching this and you want to serve, we have a service every Saturday night here at Orlando Baptist Church. Um, John, how, if anyone's watching this and they're from a church or a pastor and they want to figure out how to have a conversation about bringing Freeway to their uh, 
their church, um, what's the best way for them to get connected with you? Uh, you can um, email me or contact me through the website at uh, freeway-ministries.org. And my email is John Stroop at freeway-ministries.org. Awesome. That's a great way to get connected. Um, thank you guys for sharing. This was, this was so encouraging um, and amazing and praising the Lord for what he's doing. Um, thank you for watching, um, and there will be ways for you to connect, um, but we just appreciate you doing this and join us in prayer uh, for Freeway Ministries, all 11, about to be however many God wants uh, locations. So thank you. Bye.